Amen. So this morning, our scripture reading comes again from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read from chapter 4, starting at verse 12 through verse 22. It's on the front of your bulletins, if you'd like to follow along. Matthew 4, starting at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum in the sea in the territory of Zebulon and Nephetili, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulon, land of Nephetili, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and he went from there. He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit that in your light you may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So this has been the summer where I have listened to Hamilton over and over and over again. Uh, it, it came out on Disney Plus at the beginning of the summer, and I must admit I'm kind of obsessed. Uh, as I read this story today, there's, there is a really great moment. So even if you haven't seen Hamilton, kind of as a storytelling element that uh, a lot of people use when they tell stories is here, and I wanted to explain it, Hamilton might help, okay? So there's a mo moment at the very beginning of this musical where the character of Alexander Hamilton, we're just starting to get to know him, first couple songs, and he meets his friends who are going to be kind of the main characters throughout the show with him, and as Alexander uh, talks to them, and Alexander talks a lot, that's sort of his character, right? The joke is, talk less smile more, because you can never stop talking. Anyway, so we know that about him, and he's talking, he's talking, he's talking, and then the other three guys who become his friends all go, who's this? Who's this? Who's this kid? What's he going to do? Okay? So you get those questions. Who's this? What's he going to do? And immediately after that, we get the next song, which is Hamilton singing his I Want song. You ever heard of an I Want song? Okay, this is really common in musicals. Uh, you look at any Disney movie they've ever made uh, since the 90s, they all have it. The main character will sing a song about what it is their motivation is. So when you follow through the story, you go back to the, that moment, you meet the main character, you get a sense of what they care about, what their values are, and what they're going to pursue in the story. Okay? If it's not a musical, storytellers call it the crisis. That's a bad word for it. But basically, it's a moment at the beginning where we meet the protagonist, we meet the main character, we find out what they're interested in and what they're going to do for the rest of the story. Okay? It's a little nod to us as an audience. Who's this? What's he going to do? And then we get the I want song. 
And in Hamilton, it's a really great song. It's called My Shot. And Hamilton sings, I'm not going to throw away my shot. And this is, this is just great. He goes, just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, and hungry. I'm not throwing away my shot. Can you imagine back when the United States was that, young, scrappy, and hungry? Anyways, so that's, that's in Hamilton. But we're looking for the same thing, same pattern. Who's this? What's he going to do? And then you hear the I want song. All right, so here in Matthew, we've already had for three and a half chapters into chapter four, we have had the who is this section of the story, right? We found out that Jesus is Jewish. He's got this long genealogy where we get details about that. We go from his genealogy, we go to uh, a section on him being born, going to Egypt, coming back from Egypt, the threat in his life and that. We go from those two things into Egypt, into his baptism, and then finally last week, his baptism gives rise to his temptations. By that point, we know about who this guy is. We've answered that question. He is, like last week said, the Son of God, and we know that this Son of God really does have the capacity to follow through on that name. Right? That was his temptations in the wilderness stuff. So we've answered the question, who is this? Who's this kid? What's he going to do? That's where Matthew goes next. We've established who he is, now what comes next. And we need an I want song. So look at the text. Jesus speaks a couple different lines. He's quoted a couple times. What do you think his I want song is? If you were writing the lyrics, which, which line would you put in as the one that you would write his song for? Repent. Repent. Another one? Anyone else? Come and follow. Come and follow, right? The come be fishers of people line. That one later on. All right, here's my opinion. And it's just an opinion because this is storytelling, so you get to decide, you know, what is this character's main motivation? Uh, I think it's repent, okay? We, we would typically jump right into, and we probably skip the first section here a lot. We go from the temptation into thinking Jesus is calling his disciples, and we skip this, this little thing in the middle. But don't miss how important this is to Matthew that he would put it there. This is the I want song of it. Who else said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near? It's already been said in the gospel. John the Baptist, exactly. So John the Baptist has been saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But Matthew tells us something that has already happened to John, which is what? He's been arrested. Well, he's not dead yet. You're right, Ellen, that's coming. He's going to die. But he's been arrested. He's been arrested. And so there's nobody out in the world going repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a dangerous thing to do it, apparently, because John gets arrested for it. But in the gap of John the Baptist being taken away and arrested, this is the drive. Right? That's how Matthew writes it. This is the drive for why Jesus says that he is going to do his ministry. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And from that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent. Right? So John has been arrested for his message of repent. Jesus shows up and goes, he's been arrested. Someone else needs to stand in the world and say it. And what is he saying? Repent means turn around. Be transformed. Let the world change. The world, the way it is, is not good enough. 
We need what? The kingdom of heaven. It will be better than anything you have. And the other really fascinating part, unfortunately, you're just not going to figure it out in English. You have to see it in the Greek. But when the word is arrest, right? When John is arrested, this is another take on the idea of turn around. It's actually turn over. When John was turned over, Matthew's playing with emotion, the emotion of this, right? He's, John has been saying to everybody, turn around, and then the authorities are like, you turn around. The authorities are saying, we reject the idea that you're going to change the world. We're going to make you go back and face the direction we were already going. And Jesus goes, no. He says the exact same thing. This world needs to repent. It needs to change. It's not good enough yet. He stands in the gap where John's message gets taken away, and he picks it up. It becomes his I want song for the world. Not to dismiss what comes next. That's part of it, right? The very next thing he does after he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, is that he then goes and finds some disciples, and he will say, come with me, you're going to help spread this message. I think a big reason we typically skip that first thing and then jump into the fishers of people section is because it gives us something for us to reflect on, right? Who are we in the midst of what Jesus is doing? Who's this kid? What's he going to do? Well, we're going to see what he's going to do. His I want song is repent. But then we get the chance to go, so where's our place in it? So the question for the next section that comes right along with it, it's a relationship thing. We've got the kid and what he's going to do, and then us responding to him. Here's the question people ask. What motivated those four men to get up and go? I'm asking. Anybody got an idea? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Okay, very good. We'll get there. What else? <laughs> they have faith. They have faith. Here's some of the things that, uh, and we'll get to the Holy Spirit part of it, but here's sort of just the human motivations that you can imagine. Four young men. Jesus is a young man at this point, too. But these four young men, what drives them to get up and do this? Well, one, it might be kind of an honor. They're fishermen. That's not the highest ranking kind of position in the world. And in the ancient world, if you kind of wanted to rise up out of where you were into the next world, in some ways it actually makes sense. If you were 18 years old and you wanted to kind of move beyond what your parents could give you as a child, what would be your job at 18? What would you be planning on doing? Going to college, maybe, right? So you probably apply to college. You probably get out and find the right college for you. You start thinking about what kind of career you want, what kind of job you want, picturing your future. Find the best school, the best teachers, uh, the place that's the right fruit for you. All that stuff's in your head. And in the ancient world, they didn't have institutions like colleges, but they did have rabbis. And these were kind of their schools. Uh, you would find the rabbi you wanted to learn from. And you would find that rabbi, and you, you would apply, basically, 
right? Rabbis had lots of people wanting to come and follow them. And so, but if you had to actually learn from them, they'd have to say, okay, you're in my camp. And so there's an element of that in the second part. Uh, not that Jesus has established himself as a rabbi, but the idea has been, well, maybe this very idea that they were trying to come up out of, you know, beyond their station, and they, here's this guy who's claiming to be some kind of rabbi, and so they follow him, because no one else is interested in them. It's a little different, though, because it's almost like Jesus comes and finds them. They don't have to apply first. He comes and finds them. So it's more like, imagine what it's like when you're 18 years old, and the college recruiter says, we want you. Right? There, there's, I know, Richard Chagin says, like, well, that never happened to me. No, it didn't happen to me either. But there are some of those kids that are so special and stand out in some kind of way that schools will go and say, we want you to come follow us. And for these guys, maybe this was about honor. Wow, somebody in the world sees us and wants us. And this is our chance. I'm not going to throw away my shot. Could be that. It could also be, and this is kind of connected to it, if you think again about being a young guy in the world or just a young person in the world, the idea of uh, having young man's disease. You ever heard of young man's disease? All right, here's the symptoms on young man's disease. One, you think you know something, and two, you think somebody else wants to hear you talk about it. That is young man's disease, right? When you're young, you are convinced. You Don't trust anybody over 30. They don't know what they're talking about. You have the answers, and there you're going to go and tell everyone else about it. And young man's disease. What? And they're indestructible. And they're indestructible. Okay. There's, we can laugh about it. There's, it's very appropriate. Remember in Joel, there's a prophecy that says, your young men and women will prophesy. This is not abnormal. This is not something to judge them negatively about. This is what it's supposed to be when you're 18, 20, in your 20s. You're supposed to feel this way. You're supposed to have that kind of passion. So maybe it's that. The, the honor of somebody coming to them, just finally getting the opportunity to sort of have that drive. There's a guy that's going, repent. He's going to change the world. <laughs> it's my chance to join in on that kind of thing. Someone's going to finally listen to me. It could also be, and here's one more, again, related to being young like this, the romance of risk. Do you know that, that that's a real thing in adolescence, that you need to test the limits of your own power to just find out just how indestructible you really are? So uh, this is, okay, a little sexist, but generally what you see in girls with this stuff is their social relationships, Right? They get into a lot of fights with their friends, and you'll see that, seeing girls in adolescence, one day the group has this one girl that everybody hates, and the next day she's in the group, and then there's this other girl that she hates, and then it just keeps rotating through that group of friends. You've seen this before, right? This is that adolescent thing of, well, how much power do I have? And they play around inside the social dynamic with each other. And again, a little bit sexist, it doesn't have to be boy versus girl, but boys, risk-taking behavior, right? They do it less among their friends, but they do it with their friends to go and do stupid stuff, right? Their limits of their power. But it is what's called the romance of risk, that very important moment when you're young where you go, just how much power in this world do I have? And so you go after 
the most dangerous behavior you can find. And if you just met a guy, John the Baptist, who got arrested for this exact same message, and then you meet the guy who lifts his hand and says, I know he got arrested, it's my turn now. There's a romance of risk to that, right? These are the things that we can uh, kind of read into these characters, and there's nothing wrong with that. We've all been young. We all know young people. can kind of make sense. Matthew, let me also say that those kind of characterizations of the disciples, you'll get those in the other Gospels. There's a little kind of nod to what might be their motivation. Matthew, on the other hand, doesn't give it to us, which is why Lorna was actually right. She went right to the right answer, just the Holy Spirit. Matthew seems to go much more general pulls back, kind of creates that space where you go, why are they doing it? Theologically, the, probably the reason Matthew wants us to get that is you don't have to be young. You don't have to be seeking honor. You don't have to be driven by a passion to change the world. You don't have to be driven by a romance of risk to be a follower. In fact, I think at some point, for most of us, we either sort of grow out of that or just kind of maybe it comes and goes. But there's plenty of times when this is who I am. I don't need to seek any more honor in the world. I accept where I am. I like where I am. And that idea of, you know, thinking someone else cares what I think and needing to say it, that gets old. <laughs> it gets really old. And certainly... Life is not always about the romance of risk. At some point you go, I like the word safety a lot more than the idea of risk. So wherever you are, and it can come and go, or it can kind of grow out of you, that isn't what has to be the driving motivation to be a disciple. It can be. But what Matthew is going, it's just about there being something irresistible about this guy. It's something Holy Spirit. You can't describe it. They hear his voice and they go, who's that guy? What's he going to do? And they have to go find out. Remember again what I said a few weeks ago about what repent can also mean. It means letting go of the things you think you know and just holding on to the things that you cannot deny. Find that space. I'm in a place in my life where I, I can let go of the honor, I can let go of the passion, I can let go of the romance of risk. Here's what I still can't deny. I want to know who this guy is, and I know, want to know what he's going to do. Because can you imagine, you just watched the guy who was yelling, repent to the world, as if that wasn't kind of interesting enough, but you just saw him got arrested for it. And Ellen is right, he's arrested because he's on his way to conviction, and death. And you just meet the guy that in that moment goes, yeah, I'll do it too. That's the other really interesting thing about that word arrest that actually means turned over to authorities. Matthew will use it one other time. You know what it is? When he says, Judas turned Jesus over to the authorities. John and Jesus are parallel stories. There's foreshadowing going on here. And go, this guy from day one, if it isn't his disciples who are doing it, he's doing it. He's the guy 
who's got something at stake in the world. He's got some version of young man's disease, or he's got something to say, and the world needs to change, and he wants them to hear it. He's got the passion for it, and he's willing to take on the risk to get there. In fact, he doesn't just avoid the risk. He doubles down on it from day one. I see it, and I want it because it's, this world is not good enough. I can give all that stuff away from myself, and I hopefully will have a better life for giving away some of that stuff. But I can't deny that it still fascinates me that Jesus does it. Who's this kid? What's he going to do? That's what we find out from here. We turn from who he is to what he does. And that role, by the way, just so we know where we're going next, in Matthew, he's not so much a miracle worker. He does some miracles. He's a teacher first, teaching us, his disciples, about a world that needs to change and how we're supposed to do it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world, and thank you again for his willingness to stand in the gap of a world that in your eyes still is not good enough, to stand in that gap, to accept that risk, and with that passion, say the exact same things John said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. May we hear his voice, be transformed by the renewing of our minds in this space, let go of our own expectations, and I'll rely on the thing we cannot deny, which is this young man, with all his passion, with all his willingness to take risk, is the one we can't take our eyes off of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, now let's join together and sing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.